turn in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to the Gospel of John. Uh, we shall continue our study. And it kind of works out well because um, we'll look at uh, the raising of Lazarus for the next, uh, this Sunday and two more. And then we'll have a Christmas message on the 23rd, right before Christmas. Uh, and then uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a New Year thing, and then we'll get right back into John about the second week of January. So let's uh, continue together in our study, John 11, picking it up in verse uh, 17. John 11, verse 17. And this is God's Word. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, Richard Pratt was here uh, uh, last Sunday, and um, it's kind of weird. I don't think I've ever led worship when Richard Pratt was here. Uh, I've been out of town for some reason, and Matt Hedgepeth or somebody has led. Uh, so it was kind of cool to, to talk to Richard. And did you know he's a bass player? He played classical guitar, and he also uh, played a five-string uh, fretless uh, back in the day. He played Grand Funk Railroad and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was kind of pretty cool. But anyway, so before the service, I was talking to Richard Pratt, and I said, Dr. Pratt, I said, I just want to let you know um, I've got uh, a couple of your commentaries on my shelf um, and they are so well-written and so helpful and such a welcome voice. And he said, uh, that, he said that's the first time anyone's ever said that. I said, You're ser- seriously? He said, that's, he said, I've never, ever had anybody say that I wrote a good commentary. And I'm like, well, it's great. It's very hel- It was just great. It was great. All right. Huh? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, and then we got to talking about how I said it's such a refreshing voice because um, so and so will read so and so, and then so and so copies so and so, and you see this plagiarism that is all over the Christian world. It's just it's it's astounding. And he was going, "Yes, I know." And you know, in the Christian world, we're we're, we're less concerned with. Um, writing books and stuff than we are communicating truth. So it's a little loose, but there's plagiarism galore. Um, and uh, that said, he and I were saying, we often ride coattails. I often ride coattails. I often borrow from people and, and I'm grateful to have uh, smarter brothers who have gone before me and all that. But I want you to know, just between you and me, I never let anybody else write my sermons for me, ever. I never just lift sermon points from some other person or decide, you know, just let them dictate how I'm going to d- divide the passage. It's a help. A lot of times I'll jump on board with people who divide the passage like I do. But anyway, all to say this, uh, in this case, 
I'm completely 100% stealing this little sentence uh, from a commentary writer. So if, if, if I ever die and somebody puts in this in print, um, this is exactly from a different uh, a commentator. And he says this, and this is our main idea uh, here today. The main idea is this, new life begins with Jesus. I could have rephrased that. I could have made it fancier. I could have made it sound deeper or more smarty pants or whatever. But, you know, I just read that. It was the end of, at the end of a paragraph that this guy, uh, this Australian uh, uh, Christian wrote, uh, new life begins with Jesus. And friends, that is what this story is about, the raising of Lazarus, what it's, what it's about. Um, it is, frankly, what the whole gospel of John is about, that new life begins with Jesus. And it is, frankly what the whole Bible is about. New life begins with Jesus. Um, um, if, if, if your approach to scriptures, uh, the scriptures as a whole isn't that, then you've got the scriptures wrong. <laughs> then you're, you're coming at the book wrong. You don't even understand what the book is, uh, let alone how to interpret it. Um, you've heard me give uh, definitions of the, of the Bible before. Here's one I got from a seminary professor uh, years and years, years ago at RTS that I loved. The Bible is the redemption of God's people for his own glory. I've always liked that. What, somebody says, man, what's the Bible all about? Isn't that what the Bible's all about anyway? Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Uh, isn't that what the Bible's all about? You can say, wait a second. The Bible is God's redemption of his people. Uh, the story of that. Uh, his own people. Um, here's my own little uh, definition. Uh, the Bible is God saving his own people in his own way, <coughs> in his own time. That's my definition. But in shorthand, if somebody ever says, hey, what's the Bible about? Um, isn't that what the Bible fundamentally teaches? You can say, what the Bible fundamentally teaches is this. <coughs> New life begins with Jesus. That is what the Bible is about. That is the story of the Bible. So we pick up our story <coughs> with these words of Jesus Look at these in verse 14. This is where we left off. Um, Jesus told them plainly, his disciples, <clears throat> Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So there's a deliberateness to every move of Jesus here. You'll see a bit of a bookend of that um, in the next couple of weeks. If you flip ahead to verse 41... Um, they take away the stone, <coughs> excuse me, and um, Jesus lifted his eyes. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And uh, uh, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So again, you see Jesus' deliberateness. He's praying He's praying in people's hearing. There's a deliberateness to his movements. He's trying, to, uh, he's trying to show us something, and here's what he's trying to show us. This is one of two points today, just two. The uh, pervasiveness, excuse me, the pervasive problem of death. That's our first point, pervasive problem of death. Death is pervasive, is it not? Um, it's this hard reality that we know is hanging out there. It is unescapable. It is imminent, uh, it is indiscriminate, it awaits all of us, and um, the only ones who can fully describe the experience are dead. By the way, don't buy books by 
kids who die and then come back and try to talk about it, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's gobbledygook. Don't even do that. Um, I would rather trust in Jesus and trust in what the Bible teaches um, in limit uh, in, in, in its own uh, word. So, anywho, <clears throat> we are now in the passage where Jesus utters the fifth of his seven I am statements. Okay, you know, there's seven I am statements of Jesus. He says uh, in chapter six, I am the bread of life. He says in chapter eight, I am the light of the world. He says in chapter 10, I am the door. And he also says in chapter 10, just a few verses later, I am the good shepherd. And here, just days before, he himself is facing actual physical death. He he, uh, performs his last sign that the Gospel of John, that John the Gospel writer uh, records. He performs his last miracle, and, uh, which is raising Lazarus from the dead. And with that, he proclaims this in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, if anybody ever asks what the Bible's all about and what the Bible fundamentally teaches and all that, I just answer, answer with that, because all this fluffy stuff um, about this Jesus who's a sweet guy, and uh, people cherry-pick some, some pithy statements that he's, uh, that he's uh, said and, uh, uh, and turn them into cliches like salt of the earth. Where do you think that came from? Jesus' lips. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, don't throw your pearls before swine. Where do you think that came from? That's Jesus' lips. I mean, there's a million things that people have cherry-picked, and they kind of craft this little Jesus figure in their mind, and he's this nice uh, character of old uh, with some, some morsels of wisdom. That, that, is not the, that is not the Christ that is portrayed here. The real Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and the real Jesus has come to beat the pervasive problem of death, uh, both physically, ultimately, uh, and spiritually, immediately. Let's, let's look at verse 17 together. Uh, here's the story. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, that four days thing is important, uh, not just as a fact, but uh, that it's mentioned more than once. Uh, look at verse 39. Um, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Um, So, you know, he already, you know, if you got a King James, I think uh, it says he stinketh. Doesn't it say that? He stinketh. Um, So, I don't know if you've heard this preached or not, but this four-day thing, uh, apparently there was a Jewish superstition. Has anybody heard that about four days? It was a Jewish superstition um, that a lot of people like to preach. I'm not going to preach it, but there's a Jewish superstition, apparently, uh, that said that the soul hovered over a body three days after the person died, and on the fourth day, it went away. And so people go, oh, well, you know, I mean, that'll preach, won't it? I mean, it's zippy. It's real zippy. People are, oh, taking copious notes. Ooh, four days, soul hovered over the body, Jewish uh, superstition, blah, blah. The problem is, uh, the first recorded... uh, uh, mention of that is, is uh, about uh, three centuries later. Uh, so it's like a superstition that came later, maybe as a result of this and, and all that. But um, uh, further, if the four-day thing really sealed the deal with Lazarus, you know, oh, the soul's floating over the body for three days and it goes away, does that help or hurt the credibility of Jesus' own resurrection, who was in the tomb three days? <laughs> My point is this. Lazarus happened to be dead four days, 
And the usefulness of that in his stinking already is that it's for sure this dude was dead. I mean, everybody in the neighborhood knew that he was dead. Everybody was mourning. Uh, Jesus comes and, and they don't even dare open up the thing because Lazarus was really dead. By the way, when you buy a coffin one day and they're trying to go, yeah, don't forget the gasket. Because uh, they'll, 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 they'll try to sell you things to make the, the, to make the burial more effective. And you're like, ooh, well, I want it to be effective. Hey, believe me, ladies and gentlemen, in three months, you're a, you're a greasy puddle. Uh, that's what happens. You're not a beautiful, glorified, you know, mummy with your jewelry on and your nice clothes. You're a, you're a mess. Uh, and so God resurrects that. But the point is this. Um, Lazarus is already decaying and he's already stinking. And there's a significance to this. Um, the significance isn't um, Jewish superstition and, and what, I'll, what I'll preach in a zippy way. The significance is the timing of it all. It's a week before Passover. It's right before Jesus' triumphal entry. Um, and uh, uh, Jesus himself is about to die. And it's often forgotten that this raising of Lazarus thing was still in the news when Jesus is crucified. I mean, these people who are mourning uh, Lazarus, uh, uh, a week later, Jesus dies. And uh, this, this news is ringing, this, this, that this Jesus, it's, well, well, Jesus, I heard that he raised this guy back in Bethany, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's still ringing in people's minds. Um, and, you know, in fact, listen to this. This is from Luke 23. This is Jesus on the cross. Uh, people stood by watching, um, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. What do you think they're thinking of? They're thinking of Lazarus. He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A um, little later, it says this, one of the criminals who were hanged uh, railed at Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I mean, the Lazarus thing. People who heard about there, they're talking about you raising someone from the dead, and here you are dying on a cross. They're mocking him. Well, that's part of the reason they're mocking him, if you didn't know that. But all of a sudden, there's this empty tomb, and the Holy Spirit of God starts to put things together in the disciples' minds later, and they start going, oh, yeah, Jesus, the tomb's empty. Where is he? He raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, I was the resurrection and the life. And now look at Jesus himself is not in the tomb. I mean, there's a whole lot going on here. What makes this all so powerful and personal uh, and relevant to the reader, though, I think, is this. Notice that as this story unfolds, the ministry, I mean, obviously Lazarus is getting ministered to because he's dead and he's suddenly alive. I would say that's being ministered to in a profound way, wouldn't you? But notice where, 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 the, where the narrative is pointed. It's pointed at Jesus' ministry to Martha and Mary. It's this personal thing. Uh, there's not this dramatic Hollywood good storytelling scene where Lazarus has a bunch of emotional lines and he says all this kind of stuff. I mean, it is kind of funny. He hops out and is, he's all tied up still. And he's got to be unwrapped and all that stuff. But uh, it's not like he's got some great uh, soliloquy. Um, the focus is um, on two grieving sisters and the watching world, which includes you and me. All right, so how does this apply to our lives? Well, you know, you've got to do something with death. 
You've got to do something. It's a problem. Uh, it's not just the fact that it's impending, um, but it's a problem. And, you know, you think about human life, e- even, even a person who hates Christianity and um, uh, thinks we're all, we're all stupid, and I don't know if you've ever, uh, you get science magazines and stuff. I, I buy a science magazine whenever I fly. Uh, I like to get Scientific American, and I, I, I read it on the plane, and I just enjoy it, you know? It's just a delving into stuff that I normally don't think about that much, and um, it's amazing how there are these ads in there, and they're hokey as all get out. They look like Pentecostal ads. They really do. They look wacko. Uh, I'm sorry if you're a Pentecostal, but I mean, like, let's just say, let's, let's, let Mennonite, I, there's probably no Mennonites in here, but it just looks a little nutty. Um, but it, it's, for, it's for atheism. And there's this collection of people who, and, the, and their thing is, in reason we stand. And uh, they think we're idiots. Well, you know, those folks, uh, it's kind of, it, it's funny that it looks like a religious ad, because it really is a religious ad. They're, they're trying to deal with the, the, the problem of death. They're probably trying to deal with uh, the origin of life. Um, they're, they're struggling with that. And so even those folks... Um, and even the people, I don't know if you've met people, and you've heard me mention this before, but that, that uh, refer to the human body as a meat bag. Have you ever heard that before? You have, right? Um, there, there's a lot of people who just say, I'm just a meat bag. You know, we're just here for a time. I occupy, uh, I occupy some space. I try to better the world a little bit, and then I get out of here, and, uh, and then I'm just, I'm obliterated. I just, nothing, nothing really matters, and my experiences don't really matter, and I just go poof, and then it's all over. Even those people, friends. If you read about a terrible car accident, and there was a granny, and a grandpa, and a mom, and a dad, and four kids, and the family cat, and one of the kids' butterfly collections, and uh, the cocker spaniel, would anybody care about the cocker spaniel and the cat and the butterflies? Or is human life intrinsically more valuable? It's intrinsically more valuable. And so, you know, when the cat dies, it's sad, but when a human dies, well, then there's a funeral and there's mourning and people travel a great distance and uh, they grieve together. Um, Human life has intrinsic worth and and every single person knows this. And as I pointed out a a couple of times ago, um, the brokenness of this world is seen all over the place in our bodies, in in our relationships, in our politics, in our world governments. Um, the, the poor on the street. I mean, you just see brokenness all over the place. And what is that? But a manifestation of death. It's death's sticky cobwebs on everything. Even the ground resists us where work is difficult rather than a joy. Thorns rise up. Mosquitoes sting us. What is that? It's a manifestation of death. All of that tells you um, that uh, humanity has an intrinsic worth. Now, I stumbled across an app, or actually it, it popped up in the middle of a, scra- a Scrabble game. Um, this app was for sale, and the app, you, you know, you put in your age and your height and your weight and your this and your that, and uh, the app tells you uh, how much time you have left to live. And, you know, on the one hand, you're like, oh, well, it's supposed to be motivating, you know? Uh, well, you know, you got this much time, and so, you know, make, make much of every day, you know? But, you know, you start looking at it going, I don't know. That looks pretty depressing, you know? I mean, I, what do I have, like six and a half years left? I don't know. Uh, it's not looking that hot. Um, but uh, friends, Jesus makes a statement that reverberates throughout the entire universe. And the statement is this, I am 
the resurrection. I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks Martha, do you believe this? And that's the question. Uh, do you believe it? Um, he addresses that to two grieving people in real time. And in a sense, he addresses it to you and me today, doesn't he? Do you believe that? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That he's addressed the problem of death. How has he done that? Jesus, son of God, takes upon himself a human nature. You know, um, we, we sing a song uh, here, of course, uh, Oh, come all ye faithful. You know, Oh, come all ye faithful. Da, 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 da. But you know there's a verse that you never sing? You never sing it. There's four verses, but you never sing verse two because it's real choppily written and there's something kind of hard to sing. Um, uh, it goes, God of God. Uh, and then it says, He abhors not the virgin's womb. Well, you know, that just is a, it's a, those are hard lyrics to sing, you know? Uh, it's like for me personally, I, I have trouble singing songs with the word lungs in it. I don't know, it's just the lungs, it's this organ. Anyway, but he abhors not the virgin's womb. Abhors is kind of a weird word. A lot of people don't even know what it means. And, um, but isn't that interesting? He, he abhors not the virgin's womb. He abhors not taking on humanity and coming into humanity in a sinful world. What a thing. He takes on humanity and comes into this sinful world full of maladies and full of um, being tired and full of betrayal and full of things that are going to affect him personally. The Son of God takes upon himself that human nature and never, ever, ever, ever sins. He lives. He fulfills all righteousness. He fulfills every letter of the law. And in the sinner's place, he lays that life down perfect lamb, spotless, blameless, not a blemish on his soul. Blemishes on our souls. He lays that life down. And then he pays the price, right? The wages of sin is death. You uh, mow someone's lawn and then you say, I'm done with the lawn. I would like my wages because I've earned it. Give me my wages. Well, the wages of sin is death. You earn that. Well, Jesus paid the wages. He paid the wages. He took the sin upon himself. Uh, he laid his life down. And then, after the debt is paid, he rises from the dead. What does that show you? It shows you that he is the resurrection and the life. That if he rose from the dead, and he makes this promise to you that you're going to be okay too. Uh, is it God's will for you to die here on this earth? Well, unless Jesus Christ comes back, yes, you're going, to be a, you're going to fall prey to the curse on the human body and you're going to die. But you know what? There's a resurrection day and you're going to come on back and you're going to be healthy and great. And what that's going to be like, we don't know, but we'll, we know we'll be like Jesus and we'll have a glorified body. It'll be you. It won't be not you. It'll be you. It'll be your personality. It'll be your mind. It'll be the way you laugh. The way you think and process things, only it will be glorified and perfected and sinless because the Savior lives, you'll live too. Is that not hopeful? All right, our second point and last point, the vexing voyage of faith. Um, verse 20, uh, Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went to meet Jesus, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now, if you recall back to uh, uh, Luke's gospel, 
Martha was hardly praised for her faith, was she? Um, Flip back just if you would, just about, I don't know, 18 pages to uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 38. This is the story of when they meet. Uh, Luke 10, verse 38. As they, Jesus and his disciples, excuse me, went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Yet a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one good thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so Martha has Jesus in her house, and she's busy and frantic. And have you ever pictured, you've seen, you all have a mom? You all have a mom? You ever seen her busy and frantic? Uh, like, like 38% more busy and frantic than she really needs to be? You know, there's a lot of huffing and puffing and moving of pizza boxes, and you're like, uh, not that big of a deal, Ma. You know, not that big of a deal. Uh, so Martha's just real busy, and she's uh, upset that uh, the, 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 her sister's not helping her and all that. Um, and so she's not, she's, not, uh, she's not remembered for her great faith uh, in that story. But, but what happens here? Here, in verse 20, Martha hears that Jesus was coming. She went out and met him. Mary remains seated in the house. Martha goes out. You know, she, she kind of gets her uh, Apostle Peter going and <laughs> goes, out to, goes out to Jesus. Now, what had Martha and Mary talked about, I wonder? You know, Jesus, uh, they send word and they get word back, uh, and uh, Jesus isn't there. Uh, you know, he sent word, but he could have just come. Uh, in the time that it takes the word to come, Jesus could have been there, but he's not. I wonder what they talked about. Well, it tells us in verse 21. One of them says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 32, the other one says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They obviously struggled with that fact. I mean, they obviously talked about it going, you know what? Jesus could have been here. Jesus isn't here. Um, and that, that must have been a, a, a challenging thing. Why didn't Jesus just show up? Well, you know, this is a, a great quote by a guy named D.A. Carson. He said, Jesus' concern is to divert Martha's focus from an abstract belief in what takes place on the last day to a personalized belief in him who alone can provide it. All right, so when he says to her, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's trying to point her to um, the ultimate. He's trying to to move her beyond um, the situation here. Um, Now, I've tucked one more verse in uh, on this point, which we'll look at it again, but it's just after Jesus talks about being the resurrection and the life. He says, uh, uh, anyone who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. Anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha a direct question. Do you believe this? And it has long been pointed out that that is the ultimate question. Do you believe that? Uh, Friend, do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that everyone who believes in him will never die? Well, here's the vexing, what did I say? Voyage of faith. Um, Martha answers a f- uh, in the positive. She says, yes, Lord, I believe. And she says some profound stuff, man. She says a number of things. She says, I believe that you are uh, the Christ. Well, that's pretty good. 
the Christ, like the Messiah. The, like a, a Jew would go, oh yeah, from the Old Testament, the promised Messiah. I believe that you're that. That's pretty good, Martha. Uh, she also says, I believe that you're the Son of God, in her answer. Uh, wow, she attests to his divinity. That's pretty darn good too. Uh, verse 27 also, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the one coming into the world. What does she mean by that? Well, um, uh, the one coming into the world, she is citing uh, a psalm that will sound familiar to you. Um, yeah, um, uh, Psalm 118, verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter it. Um, uh, it, it goes on to say, um, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He's made. Uh, the, the, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, they shout that uh, uh, in just a little bit when he comes in uh, to Jerusalem and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Martha's going, yeah, I think uh, you're the, uh, the, the Old Testament figure. Um, she's, she responds, um, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. All right, so to our sermon point, she expresses her faith. He says, hey, uh, your brother will rise again. And she says, oh, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. All right, but she's, she's not thinking, you know, on the one hand, she's thinking, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, but then when he says, uh, oh, yeah, well, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be okay. And she's like, yeah, I know he'll be okay in the, at, at the last day. She's not thinking now. All right, so her faith is, is, is wispy. And then Jesus tells her that he himself is in control of life and death. And she responds with grand things. You're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You're the one who's coming into the world. But she doesn't say, uh, oh, you can raise Lazarus right now? That's fantastic. She doesn't say that. All right, application for your life. The Westminster Confession of Faith. If you've never read that, you know, there's a longer confession, there's a shorter confession. And, you know, you go, oh, catechism, eh. Uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, what is that? All smart stuff. It's questions and answers. Um, it'll, it'll, ask a, it'll ask a question about you know, God's nature, about the Trinity, about uh, the atonement, um, and then there's an answer. And you know, when you read the answer, you go, yeah, but how do you back that up? Where did they come up with those answers? Well, get a, get a help book. The verses are all listed. I mean, everything in there is traceable to the Scriptures, the Scriptures, the Scriptures, the Scriptures. If you want some health for your soul, read the Westminster Confession of Faith. But here's one of the questions. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? I would say that's applicable to you, wouldn't you? What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? Answer. The souls of believers are, at their death, made perfect in holiness... And do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. There's a future resurrection, to be sure, yes. Uh, eternity um, alive is different than dead, and an eternity that's joyful is different than one that is um, uh, separated from God in His love and subject to His wrath. Very different, okay? But my point is this, there is a now Ness to the resurrection. The thing you can't see, I, I, I italicize this in the Westminster Confession uh, thing. Uh, the souls of believers are at their death, made perfect in holiness, and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies, here's what I italicize, put in italics, being still united to Christ. Isn't that amazing? 
Right now, you are united to Christ. Right now, your bodies, if you're a believer, are united to Christ. Right now, you're safe in Christ. There's a nowness to the resurrection, even as our bodies will die, and ultimately uh, they, they will, but um, yet they live. Um, let, let, me, let me close with this. Um, you ever made a hollandaise sauce? Um, you know, there's a couple ways to do it. You can make a double boiler, which is you put some water in there and then you put a bowl on top, and that way you don't, uh, that way you don't, uh, it lessens the chance of you accidentally scrambling the egg yolks. Because once they're scrambled, no good. You've got to throw it out. All right, so it's uh, egg yolks, butter, a little uh, vinegar. You can throw some tarragon or some French herbs in there or whatever. But uh, all to say, um, I kind of take it in a little bowl. I put it on the heat, take it off the heat. I think I've told you this before. Put it on the heat, take it off the heat, put it on the heat, take it off the heat. Well, if it breaks, you know, you're adding butter to it. So it's egg yolks and butter. You know, it's this, this crazy, delicate emulsion that you're trying to create with millions and millions of little bubbles. You're just breaking it down, breaking it down, uh, you know, it's not really talking to each other, but it sort of is because it's breaking down. It's just this emulsion that's hanging there. Mayonnaise is the same thing. Um, you make real mayonnaise. What happens if the worst thing ever in the kitchen happens, which is your sauce breaks, your hollandaise breaks? What happens? How do you fix it? Do you know how? Huh? What was that? Throw it out. Well, you know, you can put it in a blender. You can put it through a a strainer, you can put it through a chinois, you can put it through a tammy, you can scrape it through a screen, you can do all kinds of things to it. You are not going to put that thing back together unless you take one more egg yolk and throw it in there. And the egg yolk is the one thing that can save your broken holidays. Isn't that kind of cool? Anywho, <laughs> that was a long way to go. And maybe not the best illustration ever to say that, that Jesus is the only way. But I'm just telling you, New life begins with Jesus, friend. New life begins with Jesus. You want hope in this life? You want hope beyond this life? You want forgiveness of sins? You want the heaviness of your guilt that weighs on your heart, the things that you said and did from the past? Do you want to go to sleep with your head on the pillow saying, I am secure? I am safe in the work of the Savior? I'm just saying that Jesus is the only way. Jesus is uh, the giver of new life. It begins and ends and is completed in him. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you that we will persevere until the end. And thank you that you are the resurrection, that you are the life, that you are the giver of those things and the Lord of glory in whom we can be safe. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks, you guys.